0: morning, everyone. Thankful for all of you who braved it on a day when there would be rain and it would be difficult. I saw the, the weather report for up north again and thought to myself, man, we have it easy, don't we? That they're saying that in parts of the country there's going to be negative 36 degrees Can you imagine? And I'm not being political, but where is the global warming? (laughs) Just a joke. Wow. But you're here. Praise the Lord, right? Ready for the Word of God? Today we get to talk about our survival manual. One of my favorite subjects to preach on, the Bible. We're in the middle of a section where Paul is giving his final words of wisdom to Timothy. Timothy was one of the pastors and elders in the church of Ephesus at that time. He was shepherding a solid church, but also a church that was dealing with false teachers. Paul was writing to him from prison. In horrible conditions. The emperor Nero was on the warpath seeking to a scapegoat for his own barbaric burning of his city. He had burned down Rome and then decided that he was going to blame the Christians for the burning of Rome. He had burnt the city of Rome down with the purpose of rebuilding it better and nicer so that he would become famous and have a heritage of building a great city that would look great and fabulous and be something amazing in his record, but he did it the wrong way. Instead of just tearing them down, he burned it down and then blamed the Christians because people got angry at him. Paul was one of the most likely targets for him because he was an apostle for the church. So Paul was probably only weeks away from his coming beheading where he would lose his head for being a follower of Christ. Paul gives these words of wisdom for survival in this wicked world, encouraging Timothy, exhorting Timothy on how he should live in light of his coming departure. Paul exhorted Timothy to understand the times. We saw that in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3. And then he turned to turn turn away from deceivers in verses 5 to 9. Explaining that deceivers would come and that Timothy should avoid them. Then last week we began to unfold remain in the scriptures in verses 10 to 17. The primary command in this section is given by Paul in verse 14. Notice in your Bibles in verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have heard. The things which you have heard. We talked about the things which you have heard. We covered most of this third imperative last week. However, because of the great value of this section and because the pastor gets to pick the sermon, I'm going to slow down and look at this amazing section. Yes, we are slowing down just a little bit but it's because it is loaded with amazing truth, beautiful truths that we need to take to heart and think on. You say, well, I've already heard a sermon on this. Well, I pray that it will be like a beautiful medley that you've heard over and over again then, and it will encourage your souls. This is like a mini-systematic theology on Scripture, uh, bibliology in these three verses. It tells us, What the Bible is all about. If you can't tell, my favorite book in the Bible or my favorite book is what? The Bible. I love to talk about the Bible. I love to spend time in the Bible. This is my favorite book and it's the book that it should be your favorite book too. We're going to see some amazing truths here. Last week we looked at three of the four wise principles for the child of God to take to heart. Three of the four... Wise principles for the child of God to take to heart in this call to remain in the Word. First, we saw we should follow the righteous example of the mature believers. In verses 10 and 11, that is, the Apostle Paul had told him the things of the Word and lived the things of the Word in front of him, and he was calling him to follow that example. Second, we should fully understand the battle that we're in, and that Things were going to get worse and that people would come and deceive and it would be rough in verses 12 to 13. The third principle to take to heart in order to survive in this world was we should remain in the word that we have learned. Paul was telling Timothy, remember what you've heard, what you've been taught from the very beginning. Look at verses 14 to 15. You, however... Continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, keyword, word, which, explaining sacred writings, are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I want to focus our attention on the end of verse 15 as we transition into 16 and 17 before we finish up this last principle. Sometimes when we slow down, there are gems, and just right in the middle of a verse, and this is one of those examples. The sacred writings are described in this next section, in that last part of verse 15. The scriptures are explained in such a clear, simple, concise way that every one of us needs to understand this verse and what it means. The sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A loaded sentence, huh? Packed with truth. The scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are able to give you the wisdom. The wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the capacity to understand and to respond appropriately to knowledge. It's the capacity to understand and to respond appropriately to knowledge. Wisdom is living knowledge. Wisdom isn't just facts. It's understanding that moves us to choose and live correctly. Wisdom is different from facts. Wisdom is different from just information. Wisdom is... Truth alive. It causes us to do something. It causes us to respond. A person can have knowledge, but not be wise. Hear me clearly. Many in the world are filled with facts and truths. But they don't apply knowledge correctly. They don't see this knowledge in light of Who God is, and what God has done, and who man is, and what we have done, and what we need. So they have facts, but they don't apply it correctly, so they're not wise with these facts, these truths. The scriptures, however, are able to turn the lights on for information. They help us to get it. To understand what these facts really mean and what they should produce in us. It's like general revelation. You look at the sun and you look at the creation and the believer does what? Wow, God! How did that happen? Well, it's because the scriptures have changed our heart and our minds and our thoughts and informed us that the creation is what? Made by God. And sustained by Him, Psalm 19. And so therefore we do what? We worship. Having facts, looking at it and saying that is so many miles away and that is so big. And those facts mean absolutely nothing if it is not included with a right understanding of God. The Bible gives us the understanding of God that produces fear, a genuine reverential fear, and a recognition of God, and hope that God will love us and deliver us. The Bible informs us of who God is and who we are, and it produces a healthy fear of God in us, a faith in Him that leads to salvation. The average human walks through life hearing millions of pieces of information every day. You understand that? You're just getting bombarded with constant information. They are observing, we are observing facts and truths and amazing displays of science and art and relationships and other details of God's creation. Have you ever taken a day where you just, You say, okay, I'm just going to observe all the things God has made. Can you imagine? It's just like bombarding us. Even in this room right now, it's bombarding us with truth. We're seeing great displays of God's glory. The magnitude of image bearers everywhere. And how God created us all. And he's sustaining us all. And all of our hearts are beating and our lungs are breathing. Praise the Lord, right? It's screaming, God is big and glorious. And as it rains, we go, God is big and glorious, right? Facts and truths are coming at us. We are like giant computers bringing in enormous amounts of data. And with this data, the world and we can form conclusions about life and the world. We all interpret this data. And many people in the world are full of knowledge. They can list out facts. They can be very intelligent people. But this knowledge is not wisdom. This is not the wisdom he's talking about here. However, wisdom is God's understanding of the world and himself applied in daily life. Wisdom is all of these facts interpreted by God and explained with a view of God and understanding God's way of thinking. So as we read and we study and we learn the Scriptures, we get God's explanation of Himself and His creation. He tells us in Scripture who we are and who He is. He tells us why math and science work the way they do. He tells us why people think they, the, the way they think. He tells us often even how people will interpret facts because they're of their nature. So as we study the scriptures, the lights literally, or figuratively, come on. We get it. We understand it. And we have a fear of the Lord, don't we? We have a reverential understanding of the Lord. As we study the scriptures, we say, oh, you are God. You are the creator. And fear comes, right? Just as Proverbs nine ten states. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So where do we get this knowledge of the Holy One? Where do we get this fear of the Lord? From the scriptures. As we read in Psalm 19:9, 9, right? Where it says what? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Wait, when it said that, it's actually a synonym... ...for the word of God. That whole section from 19.7... Look over there real quick. You need to see it. Look at it. Could you tell I love that passage... ...in my reading? It's like it flows in my soul. I love that passage. If I could preach on one passage... ...it'd probably be that one. I just love it. Psalm 19. General revelation is found... ...in verses 1 to 6... ...but then in verse 7... Down through verse 11 is special revelation. It's God's revelation of Himself in the Word of God. So in verses 7 and 8 and 9, you see they're synonyms for God's Word the law, the testimony, the precepts, the command, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. Notice the fear of the Lord. Now, that's, how is that the Bible? Well, it's so synonymous that the, the revelation of God in the Word is so synonymous with us doing what? Fearing God and having a resurrectional fear that the response is synonymous with the Word of God itself. This Word causes us to awe God. And fear him so much so that the word is called the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And where do we get the fear of the Lord? Ultimately, from the word of God. This is what Paul's talking about. is that Timothy had been trained by the sacred writings. The word of God had been taught to him and over and over. And he had read it, he had studied it, he had heard it. From his mother and his grandmother. And it had produced a fear of the Lord that had then produced what? Repentance and an understanding that I need God. My only hope is in Him. This is a section that's talking about the Word of God. Just a side note. Where can we get this true wisdom? Can we get it anywhere else than the Scriptures? where we get derailed as believers is when we don't remain in the Scriptures, when we don't abide in the Scriptures. Turn back to 2 Timothy 3. We subtly listen to the great lie of the enemy. You remember what the enemy said to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? From the very beginning, his attack was on what? The Word of God. From the very beginning... Is God really all about his glory and our good? Those are the lies that the enemy is telling and propagating. Is God enough for us? Is God better than anything this world has to offer? Or even worse, is God even in the details of the world or life? Or is he just, is he even here? Is God's revelation all we need for life and survival in this world? The enemy is trying to distract us and get us away from the Word of God. He's doing everything he can to get us to take in information interpreted by who? The enemy. But where is wisdom found? In the sacred writings, in the scriptures. This is the attack of the deception of the world and the enemy. They can give us details and observations and even scientific facts. But they interpret the facts wrong because they don't have what? Wisdom. They don't have wisdom. They don't see the observations in light of who God is and who mankind really is. So how do we know if the information we are getting... From the world is facts or wrong interpretations of facts? Does what they say contradict the scriptures? Is the easiest question, right? Does is what I saw, does it contradict what God's words say? This is the simple question, but this isn't always easy easy to discern, is it? We need to ask some questions about the information that we're receiving. Listen closely, beloved. Do the people we're getting our information from fear God? Do they? I want you to think for a second. And I'm talking about all media. I'm not being biased. Is it coming from those who fear God? The vast majority of it isn't, isn't it? Is it? I don't care what you read. You're most likely getting it from people that don't fear God. Do they realize the sinfulness of mankind? Are they reading their scriptures and do they have a high view of God and an accurate view of mankind? No. Do information providers recognize the authority and perfection of the Word of God? Do they say that this is the Word of God? Most of what we're getting, most of this information is coming from people that what? Don't even believe that this is God's word. And First and foremost, the people that are giving us this information, are they seeking to glorify themselves or give glory to God Almighty, the creator of the universe? So does this mean... That everything they say is not true. No. 2 plus plus 2 equals what? Poor. I'm glad y'all got that. (laughs) Otherwise we're in a lot of trouble. But the lost mathematician interprets these facts incorrectly. Say, what? They know what 2 plus 2 equals. They know it equals four. But they don't see the logic of math as a reflection of the ordered and sovereign God. They don't say two plus two equals four. Let's worship God! Do they? No, they say, I'm smart. I know that two plus two equals four. You say, what? Yes! Yes! This is a reflection as the word says that he created everything and he's an orderly God. A sovereign God and that everything works exactly the way that he is established in the laws of science and nature and math. He did it. What a great God. All math and all science laws that work correctly should make us do what? Worship. That's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom takes facts and says, wait, let me see it with the glasses of the Bible and interpret this correctly. You say, why is this so important? Why are you going off on this? Because, again, you're these human computers that are getting so much information and you're not stopping in to interpreting whether or not the information is coming from God and whether it honors God and glorifies Him. We need to be careful. We need to abide in what? The word of God. We need to remain in the scriptures because those are the things that lead to wisdom that leads to salvation. That gives us wisdom. The truth of the wisdom from God's word goes to every discipline. Every discipline I know, this, is, this, this almost sounds self-seeking. Here I am, I'm a preacher up here, and I'm saying to all of you that are probably smarter than me in many, many fields, I'm saying my book's more important than yours. I'm sorry. Everything you've learned in your job is not as important as this book right here. Oh, no! boy, that's very self-seeking of you, Pastor Mike. No. It's all for the glory of God. And for your relationship with him. Do you check your Bible as much as you check your Facebook? Do we know what's going on on Instagram and Twitter more than we know what's going on in this? Do we know our work manuals more than we know this? Do we know the regulations at our job more than we know this? Do we know the schedule for the sports teams more than we know this? Are you we getting it? From the beginning to the end of our salvation, the scriptures, are the instrument God uses to save us. He converts us through faith in Christ through the scriptures as we know the truth of who God is and our need of salvation in Christ. The scriptures show that sanctification's the same, isn't it? We are changed and transformed into holiness. We look more like Christ as we're where in the scriptures. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved by the Scriptures. It is the revelation of God and ourselves in Scripture that drives us to our knees, doesn't it? As I read through this book and as I study this book, I'm reminded more and more I am unable by myself. I need God Doesn't this book say that to you? Every page. We're justified and delivered from the power and penalty of God through trusting in Christ, which we got that wisdom from Scripture. It's the gospel. We look to Him and we're delivered. If you are here today and you've heard the Bible's description of you in light of a holy God that you are a sinner in need of Savior. The wisdom has been given. Are you embracing that truth? Are you trusting in the wisdom that's given for your deliverance? There's no other hope outside of the revelation of God in Scripture. No other book, no other source is going to tell you who God is than the Scripture. You say, well, I talk about the gospel all the time, and don't people get saved? Yeah, because you're quoting from what? The Bible, the scriptures. You say, well, my plan of salvation doesn't include the scriptures. Well, then it's not a plan of salvation. There's really only one way to be saved, and it's through knowledge of the God that's found in the scriptures. No other way. You cannot be delivered except through what the Bible says who God is. Knowing that God and repenting and believing in that God. You say, well, Mike, you're awfully exclusive. I was talking to a person that was a faithful Methodist just the other day. They had gone to church all their life. People would consider him a great servant. But he looked at me and said, but it doesn't mean only Jesus because there's other ways in Africa that people can have other religions and still go to God and get to God. I'm like, no. If that's true, Jesus lied. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. No other way to God except through Jesus Christ, as revealed in Scripture. This is the truth. Do you believe it? It is the Lord God, the triune God, the Son of God who came into the world to die to pay for sinners. Trust him and him alone. You sure are exclusive. Narrow minded. It's what it says. This is what Timothy did as the sacred writings were taught to him. At some point he became aware of his own sin and his own need of a Savior and he believed in the Messiah. So we all remain in the Scriptures. Why? Because they are able to give us the wisdom that leads to our conversion, our sanctification through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved, being saved, and will be saved. This is the wisdom of God... And it comes from the word of God. So, we've seen we should follow the righteous example of other mature believers. Second, we should fully understand the battle that we're in. Third, we should remain in the word that we have learned. And then finally, we see we should fully understand the great value of the word of God. Mm, Man, what great verses. And I got about... 20 minutes to talk about it. 25 minutes. Isn't that great? I need like four hours. This is truly amazing. These words are amazing. Look at them. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the second ministry axiom in this section. That is a stated truth. It's a fact. It's a self-evident fact. That Paul lays out there for Timothy to stand on. A firm foundation. These are truths that you need to know and hold on to. It's a statement that is obviously truth. All Scripture. Not some scripture, but all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. You know, there's actually people that argue, Not all it, 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 they argue this. It should be translated, not all scripture that is inspired is profitable. They say, all scripture that is inspired is profitable. What does that mean? You know what that means? People take out their Bibles and they say, well, nope, that doesn't look inspired. Throw that one out. Nope, that one doesn't line up with how I think. Throw that one out. And before you know it, what do they do? They throw out everything that, except if it agrees with them. Scripture, that's not what this should be translated. This is not how it should be translated. It is all Scripture. It's inspired by God. Or God breathed and profitable. Every scripture, every line, every word, all of it is inspired, God breathed. Every little, every little thing from every jot and every tittle. All of it. The Bible is self authenticating. What does that mean? Self authenticating. The Bible is true. And from God, you're going to love this, because the Bible says it's true and from God. Wait a second. That sounds like circular reasoning, doesn't it, Bill? The Bible is true and from God because God, or the Bible, says that it is true and from God. Somebody, you go up to somebody, and you're witnessing to them, and they say, "How do you know this is true?" And you say, "All Scripture's inspired by God and profitable." And they say, "Prove it to me." And you say, "I just did." What? If God says He supernaturally wrote this book, then He is the self self authenticating author of the book. Why? Because God does not lie. Because God always tells the truth. It's His character, it's His nature. Again, circular, isn't it? You could go back and say it's circular. Why do I know that he's true and holy and doesn't lie? Because the scriptures tell me that. But just by logic, think about this. Does the writer of a book know that he wrote the book? Yeah. If you write a document, do you know that you wrote the document? No, not really sure. That makes no sense. God wrote this book because He's God. And He says He wrote the book, and He does not lie. And all Scripture is God breathed. You say, Mike, that's just too simplistic for me. I'm sorry, beloved. But that's what it says. And I'm just going to trust it. How about you? And he supernaturally worked in my heart, so I know that it's true. So if I were to say that it wasn't, I'd be saying what? A lie. God says through Paul that all scripture is inspired by God. At the time of the writing, Paul was most likely speaking mostly of the sacred writings, the Old Testament time. However, remember, God is working in Paul at that time to even write that document. And it was becoming Scripture. For the record, Peter would associate Paul's writings with Scripture within a few years. Maybe one or two or three. Look at 2 Peter 3.15. In 2 Peter 3.15... Peter states this, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, all his letters, all his letters, including what letter? The one we're reading. All his letters. Speaking in them of these writings, talking about other scriptures, in which... Are some things hard to understand? Sometimes Paul is a little bit hard to understand. Everybody agree? Which the untaught and the unstable distort. They twist his word, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Wait a second. What does that mean that the letters of Paul are? Scriptures. Peter's saying that the letters of Paul are scriptures. Hmm. Anybody that twists the letters of Paul are what? Headed towards destruction, to their own destruction. You twist the word of God, you're headed towards destruction. The word is inspired. It literally means, it's a compound word that means God breathed. God produced. Just as Peter also states in 2 Peter 1:20, but know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So do you believe the Bible? Do you trust the Bible? Do you know that the Bible is true? You do because it's God-breathed. Now, did he use human authors? Yes. Did he use fallen men? Yes, but they were redeemed men at that point when they wrote it, I would argue. But God is the creator and sustainer of the world, the sovereign over everything. He can control the tongue, can he? I want you to think about this. I, I marvel at the book of Proverbs. How many of you marvel at the book of Proverbs? You know why I marvel at the book of Proverbs? Because it's written by Solomon. And it was written before he had, what, 700 wives and 1,000 concubines. How did that happen? Answer? It's a short answer. God. He can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. He can tell you what wisdom is. God's all-powerful, isn't he? You know how I know that to a degree this is true just by my life. Here I am. I'm a wretched sinner, and I'm talking to you about truth. By the glory of God, by the grace of God, I'm hopefully telling you exactly what it says. Not me. It takes crooked sticks all the time to draw straight lines. What a God, right? And the scripture is even better than a sermon, by the way. A sermon's not perfect. I'm being perfectly honest. Everything I say is not inerrant, it's not inspired. <gasps> it's not. So, what I want you to do is, I want you to do what? Check it against the Word of God, study the scriptures my pride can't, be, can't handle you saying, I think you missed it there, then I've got a problem. But you have a responsibility. You all have a responsibility to check it against this. Be good Bereans, as it says, as the Bereans were. So we need to embrace the word and know the word and submit to the God who is revealed in the word. Paul explains, Scripture was God-breathed and profitable. Profitable. Profitable for what? Beneficial is another way of saying profitable. Beneficial. What is the Word of God beneficial for? He He gives the answer. One, for teaching. Whoops. For teaching. I see it. Come back. There it is. For teaching. Informing the learner who God is and what he provides and what God requires. God's word is beneficial for learning about God. It's about learning about God's interpretation of the world. The God's word is all about telling us who we are and what we need. He gives it Perfectly. Who can explain the heart of man better? Me and you or God? God. God's word does it very well. What does the, what's the scripture say? What does God say about the heart of man? It's more deceptive, right? It's wicked. That's what the scriptures say about the heart of man. But it also tells us who we are in Christ. That we have new minds if we've been born again and trusted in Christ. We have the mind of Christ, is what Scripture says, as we trust in Him. It's where we learn about God and about Christ and about about heaven and about hell and about history and about future. It's a great book. It's the book that you should be reading. There's no other book like it. The Word of God is also beneficial for reproof. For reproof, it says... Plain, simple, plain and simply, what does this word mean? It means refute error or sin. The benefit of Scripture is exposing error or wrong doctrines or to rebuke sinful actions and attitudes. This is a great benefit. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like to be reproofed? How many of you like to be rebuked? Please raise your hand. There's two of you. There was in Samuel. <laughs> that isn't true. <laughs> How do I know? The scripture tells me that's not true. <laughs> Beloved, I, I'm going to ask the question again in a second. This is a great benefit to be reproofed from the scriptures. If being rebuked is always a bad thing for us, then the word will not always be a delight to us. Hear me. How can the psalmist say, it's honey. Sweeter than honey. Than the honeycomb. And the next words out of his mouth, just a little bit longer. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. Interesting. How can something be so sweet and so good and yet reprove me, rebuke me, expose me? Why? Answer, because sin keeps me from enjoying God. Sin keeps me from delighting in God. I want to be told when I'm sinning. So that I will go back to Him and find my joy in Him. I wanna be rebuked. How about you? How many of you like to be reproved? I only got 15% of you. You still are missing it. We need it and we should want it. My delight is in the Lord, not in my sin. Show me in my heart when I'm sinning. And that's what the Scriptures do. How many of you like those falls that you go through, you know, when you slide into an error and you start sinning? How many of you like those, those falls? I hate them, don't you? That's when you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you're like, oh, how in the world am I going to live? You know what I'm talking about, right? Or you wreck your car. Or you do something really foolish. You say something wrong, right? To your boss and they fire you. I don't know about you, but I want to be exposed by the word of God so I don't fall into error. I don't like I know one thing I don't like spankings. Anybody like spankings? I don't like them. Please reprove me. Third, for correction. For correction. This word speaks of restoring things to a correct state, getting returning us to the joy in the Lord. The word directs our soul back to God. It points us to him. The word is beneficial in restoring our souls when we have strayed. It is both the carrot and the stick. It calls us, it beckons us to delight in the Lord, doesn't it? But it also spanks us and says, you're wrong, you need to repent. It encourages us to return to our joy in him. And then the finally, the word is beneficial for training in righteousness. This word means to provide guidance for righteous living, upbringing, and training, instructing and disciplining. It's like what parents are supposed to do, right? We're supposed to train in righteousness. You understand that that's what parents are supposed to do. It's amazing though. People try to train in righteousness as parents without using what the Bible. <laughs> Oh, beloved, use the very instrument that will actually produce righteousness. Use it. Not as a beat stick, by the way. Always pointing ultimately to who? Christ. The gospel. Everyone thinks when we move out of our parents' house, by the way, we stop getting instruction and discipline. Right? Isn't that all of us? <laughs> Be honest. How many of you thought when you got out of your parents' house, you thought, I'm free! Yes! No more discipline. They're not going to tell me what to do anymore. Well, that doesn't work. But I don't have to listen anymore. But if you're a born-again believer, the instruction and discipline just keeps on going every time you pick up what? Your Bible. If you hate instruction and discipline, by the way, kids, from your parents, you're probably going to hate it from the Word of God. Just want to call you, evaluate that. There's hope. His name is who? Jesus Christ. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word is beneficial in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The purpose, so that the man of God may be adequate, complete, equipped. For what? For every good work. For every good work. Is the the Bible sufficient to accomplish that purpose? That's what the Bible says. Oh, here you go with your circular, circular reasoning again. That's what he says. Do I need anything else for life and godliness? Do I need anything else to be adequate for every good work? Do I need anything else? Do we really believe that? If we do, the word of God will be the thing we read the most. It will be the thing that we meditate on the most. We will hide the scriptures in our heart and we will remain in them to the very end. And then we will do good works. What's a good work? Well, it can be anything. It can be working at work or parenting or training or discipling or proclaiming the gospel. Those will be the good works. Or taking the Lord's Supper. <laughs> How about that? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? We take the Lord's Supper to worship and remember Jesus Christ and exalt him and to remind our hearts and our minds and, and our souls that Jesus is why we are alive. So today, as we take the Lord's Supper, we're taking the Lord's Supper because we have wisdom from the word of God that led to salvation. And we know that the scripture has produced in us an understanding of who God is and who Christ is and that we are dead outside of Him, but we're alive inside of Him and that He died for us and He rose from the dead. And so now we're complete and ready to do what? Worship God. Take the Lord's Supper. If you haven't, if you don't know Him, don't take it. If you haven't repented and believed in your in Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, the one revealed in the Bible, then don't take it. But if you have, let's come to the table together and worship our King and remember what He's done for us. Take this time now and pray on your own as we prepare. Men, come forward. And then I'll close us in prayer right before we take the Lord's Supper. Take some time on your own, pray, seek the Lord. Father, we come to you recognizing that you are God and that your scriptures have revealed you as the holy and just and righteous God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the sovereign over all things, our God. And we also recognize and acknowledge that we are sinners. We are born Dead in sin, we are born with a propensity to rebel against you. We are born hating you and serving ourselves. Lord, we were born with hearts that made up a God in our own mind, one that accepted us for how we were. But you, God, in your great grace and in your mercy... And your great love for us. You sent your Son into the world to die to pay for our sins. All of our sins. The sins in our past, the sins that we've done just recently, and even the sins of our future. You are a glorious God, a God who loves and who saves. And your Son has done what we could not do. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And we worship you. We exalt you and you alone. Today as we take this Lord's Supper, we remember Christ Jesus our Lord. We remember that it was his death that atoned for our sin. It was his resurrection that provided life for us. And we believe in him and him alone for our salvation. We trust you. We are committed to you. We ask now that as we take this bread and drink this cup, that you will be exalted in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing as we pass out the bread.
1: David's son, yet David's Lord By his son God now has spoken Tis the true and faithful word Tell me ye who hear him groaning Was there ever grief like his Friends through fear his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him, none would enter to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Telling you, think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil gray. Here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Is the word the Lord's anointed Son of man and Son of God? Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost, Christ the rock of our salvation. Is the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. Amen.
0: Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we come again to take the cup. To remember Jesus' blood that was spilt for us. It was his death that atoned for our sin. We deserved to die. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserved the wrath of God. But Jesus. Jesus was struck and crucified. And judged for us. And for this we worship you. We praise you. We remember you. Until you return. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.
1: God has spoken by his prophets. Spoken his unchanging word. Each from age to age proclaiming, God the one, the righteous Lord. In the world's despair and turmoil, one firm anchor holds us fast. God is king, his throne eternal, God the first and God the last. God has spoken by Christ Jesus, Christ the everlasting Son. Brightness of the Father's glory, with the Father ever one. Spoken by the Word incarnate, God of God, ere time was born. Light of light to earth descending, Christ is God in human form. God is speaking by His Spirit, speaking to our hearts again. In the ageless word expounding, God's own message, now as then. Through the rise and fall of nations, once your faith yet standing fast. God abides His word unchanging, God the first and God the last. Through the rise, through the rise and fall of nations, once your faith yet standing fast. God abides His Word unchanging, God the first and God the last. Um, If you could, in the back, pull up the gospel song for the screen. I think we can figure it out. Hopefully, it memorized by now. Yeah,
0: you have it. Let's see if let's see if we have it memorized.
1: If not, we'll all do it this week, right? Let's sing together. Holy God, and love became. Holy God, and love became. in by his death I live again holy God in the By sin, by his death, I live again.
0: Simple words, but great truth, right? Jesus said this is my cup this cup in the new is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me what a good good savior we have i want to sing it again one more time but you got to stand up Stand and sing it. Top of your lungs. I want to echo the roof. Shout to the Lord.
1: Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my. cross, he took my sin, by His death I live again. Take us
0: now and use us for your glory. May we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. May we live for you. May we obey you. May we be lights in this world for your glory. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer.